we were going to this local little grocery store and we were just about to walk in like literally and then the owner comes and pulls the cage down and i was like oh shit this isn't good and i look to my right and there's this angry mob what's up nomads welcome to your new favorite travel podcast two beers till takeoff the podcast that delivers expert knowledge the information you won't get in your guidebook and a story that's guaranteed to make you say what the fuck or your money back Sid, you know our episodes are free, right? So, big episode on the cards this week. Welcome, Nomads. We will be discussing Bolivia with our guest in the studio. But before we really get into that, I suppose one of the hot topics these days, do you have any trips affected by COVID? And I'm going to ask that to Phil, but if you want to get to us on our Instagram page or contact us anywhere else about your trips that have been cancelled, we'd love to hear it. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, man, I did lose out on a trip because of COVID. So um, me and a few of the boys, we were going for a bachelor party in uh, New Orleans in the US. And unfortunately, we were probably a month too late. COVID came and... We had to cancel everything. We had a really sick bachelor party set up. Like we were going to New Orleans, as I said, we're gonna have. We had a place near uh, the French Quarter, uh, Party Central. Basically, it's every night of the week you can expect parades and people throwing beads. So just you can just imagine what goes on there. I love it when people Uh, throw beads. Uh, but uh, yeah, on top of that, we were we were doing a bit more stuff. We were going we were going to see also like uh, do some crocodile tours. Where you're, where you're on these boats that have like fans attached to them. You just go through like ah uh, the swamp boats. Um, swamp boats. Yeah, I don't know if they've got a technical name, but we'll call them swamp boats. The fan just blows swamp them boats. through the swamp. Yeah. Yeah, man. So we were doing that. Uh, we were also going to a basketball game. We we're going to see the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. It's a good bird, the pelican. One of the best. But yeah, so unfortunately we didn't get to uh, go, but what about yourself? Yeah, similar story actually. Not a bachelor party because that phrase doesn't exist in England. It was a stag do. We were going to Benidorm, which is a fucking shithole, to be honest. I've been there once before. It's like the resortiest of resorts. Where you know, is it's Benidorm? In, it's in the south of Spain, yeah? But there's, no, there's nothing Spanish about it. Like You'll go and you'll see Harry's Fish and Chip Bar and the Queen Vic Pub and everybody's called Brian or John or Philip. So... You know, but, but yeah, but I booked it in February. I got a little bit cocky thinking that it that, that we'd get past the past the virus. And obviously that didn't happen. Stagda was booked for June. Got these fucking vouchers now. No good for me. I live in Brazil. The vouchers are going from Portugal to Spain. So I've cashed in on these vouchers that I'm never going to see the money on. But I suppose it happens, doesn't it? The airlines have got to keep hold of your money somehow. They've got to survive. Yeah, that sucks, man. I right, look, I, you know, we're, we're, we're coming out at the end of this. We can start planning trips again. Me and the wife Hopefully. have already been talking about doing Panama in a couple of months. So we got a great episode coming up. I really, really enjoyed this one. It was a, a story that definitely kept me like on the grip of my seat for the, for the entirety of it. So it's definitely not one to miss, guys. Let's get to it. Today's guest is an adventurous Canadian who has traveled parts of Europe, South America, and the Caribbean. She even had her honeymoon in New Zealand. Not too shabby. When she isn't traveling, you can find her coaching her daughter's ringette team, lounging by the pool, or managing her husband's fantasy football team. (laughs) (laughs) Fun Fun facts about Lindsay, she has dated Ryan Reynolds, and she placed 116th at the 2010 Paris Walking Marathon. Welcome to the podcast, <laughs> Lindsay. Oh, that was some intro. Thanks, guys. 
and not only I don't I not only dated Ryan Reynolds, I married him. I I bagged the guy, so I, I didn't want I didn't want to divulge too much information on the podcast without you're okay. <laughs> That's a good point. He'll kill me for saying that. <laughs> I love the Green Lantern. So 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 when so when's Ryan coming on? <laughs> um, he'll be on later when he's done filming. <laughs> oh yeah. So I want to quickly give you a shout out for telling me about my new favorite show. It's called F1 Drive to Survive on Netflix. What a show. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I was hooked after one episode I and we just binge watched the third season and we, I have two little kids and I'm like, whatever. Sorry, guys. Lindsay is not a sports fan. So coming from a non-sports fan and like I'm, I'm a big sports fan and I don't even follow F1. Yet Lindsay comes up to me. She's like, you have to watch F1. On Netflix it's amazing and I didn't believe her initially but what a show it goes around the world there's so many international de destinations they go to Azerbaijan Monaco it's all over the world for me it, it kind of was like a life hack to traveling a little bit because you do get to see parts of the world and you do get to see some cool sport so thanks for the for the recommendation anytime did you catch the last race in Bahrain last weekend no I, I'm still in season two so so no spoilers uh, oh okay Sid, have, have you seen have you seen the show yet? No, I was just thinking we're really clutching at straws now, aren't we? If that's the lack of traveling we've got available to us, we're watching F one shows. Oh, yeah, Bahrain was great. I know it's amazing. And Stanley Tucci, are you guys watching him eat his way through Italy? That's my other no, I, obsession. I, I, I mean, when you one. can't uh, when you can't leave the house, yeah, yeah it's uh, it's on CNN. He he, if you're a foodie and you like Italy, it's a good one. It gets pretty desperate when you have a vacation and you just go on Google Maps. But that's not what we're, here, what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about your trip in Bolivia. So there are so many different countries in the world. So why did you guys choose to go to Bolivia? So we actually went to Peru and Bolivia. We did like a combo trip. Um, I had just graduated from my master's in grad school and um, we had no money. So we needed a cheap place to go. We always wanted to see Machu Picchu and we had some time because I was unemployed. So we were like, let's tack on something else. And one of my classmates from grad school had just gone to Bolivia and she raved about it and talked about how authentic it was and, and cheap and cool. Um, so we're like, yeah, let's check it out. Let's go. So we did. And um, it was quite an adventure. We started in Peru and went to Bolivia and then went back to Peru because we were doing everything on the cheap, like I said, and we had air miles. And there's not a whole lot of flexibility with air miles. So you have to fly. We had to fly in and fly out of of Peru. And those are those are popular for North Americans, aren't they? Air miles. I don't know a European, a single European that uses. <laughs> there. It's because you guys pay like twenty euros for a flight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And actually, these are Aeroplan. It's through Air Canada and the Star Alliance of of uh, carriers, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's and actually, we're discontinuing our Air Miles card. We pay for this credit card so we can get the miles but they're just so incredibly difficult to use and now during covid you can't even use them <laughs> i know you can't even use them exactly we can sure accumulate them though through uh, using our credit card but yeah yeah so that's that's how it all came to be I, I, essentially a classmate of mine we were going to go to peru wanted to do peru and a classmate raved about bolivia and i was like who goes to bolivia and then she showed me some of her pictures and i was like holy shit like this is this is legit. Let's check it out. And we always kind of wanted to do the off the beaten path. We don't like to do guided tours. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to have somebody telling us what we should see in this picture or, you know, what we should eat or whatever. We want to kind of talk to the locals. And it's 
pretty authentic in Bolivia. There's there's nobody else there. Can you tell the listeners a bit more about Bolivia for those who don't know, you know, what Bolivia is, where Bolivia is? So Bolivia is in South America. It's a landlocked country, kind of smack in the middle of South America. It is, from what I understand, the poorest country in South America. Oh, Sid, do you want to interject? You have some fun facts for me? Just the one. It's the seventh largest landlocked country in the world. Right, the seventh largest landlocked country in the world. (laughs) It borders Argentina and Chile and... Brazil. Brazil, and I'm trying to think of Very the other good. countries Chile. around it. Is that it? Chile. There's got to be more. Paraguay. Paraguay. Is, I didn't know it bordered Paraguay. I need to get a map out and look at this, but uh, it's a big, big-ass country, and it is poor. It's it's poor, but the people are amazing. Uh, very, very few people speak English, so luckily I took a few classes in university. Uh, very few. <laughs> Not enough. Enough to get by. Spanish classes, but... Um, yeah, it was it was quite an experience. Very authentic. How, how how good is your Spanish? Is it along the lines of like one cerveza, por favor? Uh, pretty much. Yeah, I could I could yeah, uh, I could ask them. I, I made reservations for a hotel. I told a taxi. Wow. I gave him directions where to go. Uh, this is a few years ago, so. <laughs> um, so you I, didn't I have did. your Google Translate on hand. There was no such thing. <laughs> Well, I, I don't. I don't even know. To be honest, I don't even remember what the internet connection was like in Bolivia because we we used it so seldomly. We had to make a, one phone call, and that was very challenging. When, when when did you take this trip? Ten years ago now. It's been a while. So, um, yeah. But I, although at the so pace it, that it, they were developing, I don't know if Bolivia has changed a considerable amount in the last ten years. <laughs> Peru probably has. I'm sure Lima and Machu Picchu, from what I understand, it's even more overrun than, with tourists than than when we were there, which is I think hard to believe. I think I think especially in terms of like well widespread internet, Google Maps, translation tools. Like any trip that was done 10, 12 plus years ago, that was really on the cutoff point. Like that was the last few trips that people were doing where you didn't have all these advantages. Yes, yes, definitely. And what a change. Like everything's so easy now compared to what it was. Oh, 100%, 100%. But in some ways, like we just went to California two years ago and there were a few days where we just left our phone. We, We wanted to go off the beaten path. Like we just, we were like, let's just grab a map. We had a car. We just wanted to drive around and see where it took us. And it's kind of liberating sometimes to be that way. Mind you, I'm older than you guys too, so <laughs> I'm reflecting back to the good old days. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I preferred it, you know, traveling in say 2010 was a, was a lot more fun than now in a way because get, getting lost felt like part of it, whereas now it feels totally avoidable. You end up missing out on some things. Absolutely. Sometimes you have your best stories. It also yes. feels like a lot more places have beaten paths already because mm-hmm. of the internet. Yeah, it's true. Do you know uh, do you know do you know what me and Ben did when we when we were eighteen and we went to Scandinavia, yeah? Because we without Google Maps we couldn't get right specifically to the address. So using the like the drawn on maps we had in the guidebooks, yeah, we were getting close to the area and then what would happen is one of us would stay with the bags whilst the other one would sprint up and down the street to see if that was the right one. <laughs> so there'd just be one of us standing there waiting. <laughs> Minus five degrees shivering whilst the other one's running up and down. Minus five degrees. Pish posh, Sid, come to Canada. <laughs> That's balmy. That is t-shirt weather. Oh, t-shirt weather, buddy. It's 20, it's, 20, it's 20 degrees today and I've got a jump run. Oh, uh, is that like a hoodie? I'm just teasing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, <a jump> <laughs> it's all good. 
So I, I did a bit of research uh, on Bolivia as well before mm-hmm. you came on because this is actually the first destination that Sid and I haven't been to. Very good. Uh, La Paz, their their administrative capital, is the highest in the world at 3,500 meters. Mm. There's another fact that I found that I, I, I it was a bit confusing <laughs> for me. They're the largest producer of Brazil nuts in the world. <laughs> what? Like that, that makes you, perfect you, sense. You, <laughs> like you guys got fucked on that deal because you guys didn't even get the naming rights. You know, the thing is that we don't even call them that here. We just call them nuts. <laughs> I didn't know that, and I don't think I ate a single Brazil nut when I was in Bolivia. A lot of llama or yama, as they call it, yama for every meal, but no, no Brazil nuts. That might be. Well, so, so you were eating llamas, like the alpaca-looking guys. We ate alpaca too. The alpacas are more expensive, so we only had alpaca like once or twice, but we had llama, yama, yama every time. Is it good? Uh, so is it llama or yama? Is it the same thing? I'm confused. Llama in English, yama in Espanol. Oh, okay. Because I thought we clarified that I didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> and I guess you're you're in a Portuguese-speaking country, so that doesn't help either. Um, yeah, no, llama. Sid, Sid actually speaks Portuguese. Nice. Like when we went to when I went to Brazil, he like would be like ordering at Subway for me and stuff. Nice. Well done. All the authentic yeah. stuff. <laughs> Subway. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, no, llama was very, very popular and very, very cheap. So um, quinoa um, and some high altitude like uh, grains. I don't even remember. There were other ancient grains that I had never heard of, and nor did I even know. You know, I'd heard of quinoa before then, but I didn't understand the the high altitude nature of of the grain. And um, yeah, and llama is is a an animal that survives or thrives at high altitude as well. And it's pretty low cost to produce uh, relative to other meats, of course. So what would you compare it to? Would you compare it more to like a chicken or more to a beef? Um, I would compare it to uh, like an overcooked beef steak. (laughs) (laughs) I never had... Not not selling that to anyone, are you? No, no. The cuisine in Bolivia was not something to write home about that, that I experienced. It was, it was unique. It was, um, but you know, spices are, it, again, it's a very poor country. So spices are hard to come by uh, just anything that lives at a very high altitude. And it's not like it's lush and fertile land and it's, it's pretty rough going. It's a rough slog. So I'm not going to complain though. Um, you know, we've got lots of fruits and veggies here and, and there was, you know, like I said, a lot of poverty, a lot of people without teeth. A lot of very... What are you trying to say? <laughs> oh, I heard about this tooth incident. <laughs> oh, and now Don't he gives me it. the That's big toothy episode. smile. <laughs> so my brother's a prostodontist, Sid. He could probably hook you up if you came to Canada. <laughs> a prosto, a prosto what? Prostodontist. He does Prost- prosthetics for your mouth. So he can do an implant for you. We'll hook you up. Just come to Canada. Just bring your jumper yeah. and come on up. <laughs> But no, to have it, it, without even having been to Bolivia, I knew it was a poor country because I see Bolivians move over here to work. Yeah. Jesus, even the Brazilians don't want to work here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, and and like I said, like we were really tall by comparison. Malnutrition, I think, is is um, not uncommon, and uh, yeah, so there was a lot of shorter people, stouter people, lack of teeth. So yeah, I don't know what the average age lifespan is there but i i would wager a guess that for the average bolivian it would be less than a north american for instance 
That must be one of the only facts we didn't come up with between the three of us. We researched everything else. <laughs> Missed that one. So, so, Lindsay, Bolivia being such a poor country, did at any time, did you guys feel not safe? Is it a dangerous country? I wouldn't say dangerous. And uh, again, like my husband's bigger too. He, I was with him all the time. So I... Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> the only time we did feel unsafe was when we were in uh, an area where there was some social unrest. And there was a time where we were going from... Uh, Copacabana to um, La Paz and we took a local bus like literally paid 20 cents and got on the school bus it was painted multicolors and we were the only again we we're the only North Americans on there nobody spoke uh, any English or anything like that and we put our bags underneath where the stow area was and this lovely lady came over to us and gave us all the hand gestures and Spanish that we could figure out that at every stop we needed to get off and make sure that no one took our bags because there were multiple stops. So that was the only time that it was like, okay, maybe we should have brought our bags on with us. But like I said, the only, there was only one time in in one city where there was some social unrest where I, I felt like, oh shit. What's this deal with Copacabana? Like I did see this and I thought it was a joke. So first they're taking our nuts, now they're taking our beaches. (laughs) (laughs) Copacabana is on the Bolivian side of Lake Titicaca. And uh, it's Lakeside Copacabana. Lakeside Copacabana. It's a beautiful little town. It's gorgeous. I it was one of my favorite places that we went to in Bolivia. Spectacular. It's very bohemian, right on the water. Um, some really cool architecture. Yeah, it was a really really pretty spot. Highly recommend it. I don't know how many Copacabanas there are in the world, but that's the only one I've ever been to. Well, there's at least two. I mean, I'm sure if you come back on episode 100, we'll have we'll have found more. <laughs> That should be a question you ask every one of your guests. Have you ever been to a Copacabana? Where is it located? (laughs) All right. So before we get deeper into the episode, I have to address something. We have one party of the the podcast here that is a massive fan of Paris, could not love it anymore. And then we have Sid, who isn't as fond of Paris. And I thought that it would be I feel like I'm a bit of a, a... I understand both parties. I understand that Paris is a beautiful city, but I understand that there are some landmarks that are a bit overrated. So I'd love to have a short debate <laughs> about Paris. Okay. Well... So the floor is yours. <laughs> Go for it, Sid. Well, Paris sucks. I mean, do I need to explain myself? Can I do a medi? Can I cop out on this? No, right. What are the main things in Paris? The Eiffel Tower, supposed to be torn down after the World Trade Fair. Why? Because it's ugly. The Louvre, four hours to get in. Four hours queuing outside to go to a museum. Forget about it. And what else is there to do to food? The food's not even that nice. There's more Chinese food than there is French food there. <laughs> if I want some French food, I go to Vietnam. Probably <laughs> <laughs> be so, cheaper too. It, oh, it definitely would yeah, be cheaper. <laughs> so I'm not going to disagree with you 100%. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. It's a feeling that I get when I'm in Paris. It's like the, I don't know, it's the Parisian way. I, I, I don't Is even know how romance? to describe Maybe the romance. Maybe it's just the fuck you attitude. Like, I'm Parisian. This is where I live. This is how I live. And take it or leave it kind of thing. I do have a, a, a bit of respect for that. But it's just their their lifestyle, like when we were in France, for instance, in North America, Sid, I don't know how it is in Ireland, but in North America. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, man. Get this woman off my podcast. 
Phil made me Ref, do are you it, not gonna... <laughs> Ref, are you... are you not going to call below the belt for that one? <laughs> Phil made me do it. Phil made me do it. <laughs> but getting back to my original point, um, in North America, like when you are on a road trip, when you're going somewhere, when you're doing something, if you need to stop to get something, you grab a coffee in a to-go cup and you take it with you and you drink or you eat or do whatever you need to do in the car. That's unheard of in France. Like you sit and you enjoy your coffee. And I know it's like that in a lot of European countries as well. <clears throat> but I just admire that. Like I love the cafe experience, the people watching, the taking the time, having a two-hour lunch. Um, you know, having a drink of wine under the Eiffel Tower or in the garden or wherever you are and that whole culture of sitting back and relaxing and taking the world in kind of thing. So <clears throat> I don't know. I just I just I've always loved Paris. I fell in love with the city the first time I was there. I was a backpacker. We were only there for two days and I was like, I need to come back here. So when my husband said, well, my boyfriend at the time said, you want to get married? I said, yes, but I don't want a ring. I want to go back to Paris. So that's what we did. So we went there, we went through France for three weeks, but um, we started in Paris and we ended in Paris and on our fifth anniversary, we went back again. I just, there's something about the city that is very appealing to me. I love the food, I love the people. I know everybody hates Parisians except for me, I think, in the whole world. <laughs> I love being other, able to- Even other Parisians don't other Parisians. <laughs> I know, it's I know, true. it's true. I, I like, I, sometimes I wonder if maybe I was one in another life or something, but I feel very comfortable there. I feel very relaxed. I, I, there's nothing I love more than just to sit with a coffee and along the Seine and watch the boats, watch the people, watch the dogs shitting all over everything, like doing whatever, you know? <laughs> it's just uh, it's just a very, uh, I, I enjoy the life, but I love all of France too. Like I really, I love that country, but Paris is kind of, has my heart. The rest of France is a, the rest of France is a slightly different argument, yeah? There are some yes. acceptable places yes. outside of Paris. Oh, absolutely. Well, <laughs> I, can't, I, 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 can't, I can't accept paying like five euros for a coffee. Five, six euros. You'd have had a lot more money to eat alpaca in Bolivia if you hadn't been drinking all those fancy <laughs> Absolutely. That sounds, like, that sounds like a joke as well, but I, rem I remember being in the airport. I got a coffee and a water and it was seven euros. Yeah. Didn't even ask how much a croissant was. I don't have to sell the house. <laughs> no, it's true. I understand that the bit about the Eiffel Tower, but again, even going to the Eiffel Tower at night, you get a bottle of wine, you get some cheese, you just sit in the garden and you just enjoy it and... You watch the people and the lights fly, flicker and it's there's something magical about it. You just get like entertained by the people selling you little mini Eiffel yeah. Tower keychains <laughs> and stuff. Like, <laughs> nothing more relaxing. Yeah. But no, I I, I can I, I think this was a, a good uh, airing of arguments. I think that uh, we can all agree to disagree. I think, Lindsay, you, you made some good points about the lifestyle, and Sid, you made good points about it being a bit overrated in some of the our attractions, but at the end of the day, I, have, I think we have to f not forget that it is one of the most visited countries for a reason. It's maybe prepping people to be like, hey, it is the most visited place in, or country in the world, so maybe be ready for that. Be ready for the lines. Be ready for yeah. <clears throat> overpriced things. And don't go in the summer. Don't go anytime between May and September. I'd love to go back at Christmas, to be honest. I was going to say I'd add to that time frame. Don't go between September and May as well. <laughs> oh, Sid. It's okay. I still Are... love you. My, Irish, my new Irish friend. 
Feel further, All right, let's get into the Q&A. So we have to talk about Don Kilvo. Who's Don Kilvo? Well, he's our first Patreon supporter. What's a Patreon, you might ask? Patreon is a membership-based platform that allows people to financially support podcasts. Don Kilvo, how has been your time as a Patreon supporter? Awesome. How did you like the early access to episodes? Awesome. The exclusive content? Awesome. What about our video call over beers? Fucking awesome. He sounds convinced. If you are unable to support the podcast financially, we would greatly appreciate you leaving us a five-star review, a comment, and sharing two beers till takeoff with your friends. So this segment is called Q&A, and it is for the listeners to get to know you a bit better. Hot or cold? Hot. Beach or mountains? Can I choose both on that one? No. <laughs> but some places you can do both in a day. You know that, right? But which one do you drive to first? But not at the same time. <sighs> You're one person. There's yeah. no beach mountains. <laughs> mountain beaches. Sandy mountains? Uh, I'd, I'd probably beach. I think I'd go beach first. Bus or train? Train, 100%. Cats or dogs? This is going to be unpopular, but cats. Don't hate me any more than you do already, Sid. <laughs> Sid said he hates I didn't animals. I didn't choose either. <laughs> so. uh, no animals? Yeah, I, I'm not a, I like animals. I like other people's pets, but I'm not a pet person. So. I don't like other people with pets. Oh. Animals should live in the wild. Oh, wow. He's bold. So what is your favorite world attraction? Um, I, I think I should go, um, I need to be nice to Sid. I'm going to say like the Tower of London or maybe um, Buckingham Palace or something. I think I see a tear of joy. Great choices. Pair, pair of great choices. <laughs> what is the most overrated landmark or event? Uh, well, for me, without a doubt, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It was so not worth it. <laughs> Period. Did you give a lot of people high fives? At the leaning tower? Like, oh. Like <laughs> no, I wanted to. I wanted to kick a lot of people in the teeth, to be honest. It was such a shitty place to be. And ugh, <laughs> don't ever go there if anyone has not yet. Which country has the best cuisine? So as per my earlier discussion, I love all things French, including French cuisine. But I do also love breakfast. And one of my favorite places where we went, where they had amazing breakfast was Costa Rica. I loved the breakfast there, the coffee, fresh roasted coffee, the eggs, the mangoes right off the tree. Like it was pretty great, pretty stellar. They do some great things with plantains and beans and rice. That, be that beats everybody else's answer. Everybody's just gone Italy next. Oh, seriously? <laughs> most yeah. of everyone's done that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, that was one of my most memorable things about Like we went to this one little place. Um, and they just caught red snapper that day, this giant red snapper. And we were like, he was literally like cooking it up in front of us. It was dirt floor. We were on a plastic picnic table. No one spoke a lick of English. We're in the middle of the jungle and it was amazing. Like the, the food that we ate and monkeys throwing mangoes at us, half eaten mangoes and everything was super fresh and tropical. It was awesome. Highly recommend. What is your favorite cocktail? Uh, this is a hard one. Um, probably a mojito. Where did you find your cheapest pint? Oh, this. Oh, so Phil knows I'm not a big beer drinker. I don't know if I've purchased more than two or three pints in my life, but um, wow. I'm going to opt out for the. Uh, oh, I got a free pint in in Belgium. 
Does that count? <laughs> can't count. No, you have to, you have to give it <laughs> there some has to be an exchange <laughs> currency. So I'm going to opt out and go with the cheapest glass of wine. And that was in Eger in Hungary, uh, the Valley of the Beautiful Women. It's sort of famous for this wine that they produce, this regional wine that they call Bull's Blood. And it was like two Hungarian forints for a glass of wine, which is like, I think, 40 cents or something like that Canadian. So it was pretty cheap night. Was it any good? After a few, you don't even notice. But <laughs> I remember it being... Um, their white wine, which is not the bull's blood kind. Um, I don't even remember the varieties, but they were pretty sweet, and I'm not a not a big sweet wine person. But anyway, it was all good. The people were lovely. It was amazing. So it was fun. We had a great time. Cheap wine, good times. Where in the world is your favorite bar? Oh, um, so we went to the Bahamas, and this is kind of ironic because I was pregnant when I was there, so I didn't actually get to drink anything <laughs> alcoholic. <laughs> But um, in Don't the come on this show and lie. You clean. You cleaned house. <laughs> no, unfortunately, I, I didn't. <laughs> um, we were in the Bahamas, and we were in Exuma, Bahamas. So it's one of the, the the keys in the Bahamas, and we were in an island off of Exuma, and called Stocking Island, just a, a tiny, tiny little island with I think there was like ten or twelve houses, and we took a kayak to this place on the island called Chat and Chill. Um, and it was amazing. Like they had stingrays, like it was just like this really laid back little bar in the middle, like literally in the middle of nowhere, stingrays running around and they were make they were taking concrete out of the shells and grilling it up. And we just got a picnic table, pulled up on our kayak, got a picnic table. My husband got a few beer. I had a conch burger and it was, it was great. It was really cool. What is your biggest travel pet peeve? People who are rude, hands down, rude people. Who people so who are Parisians. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking another nationality, not necessarily Parisians, but I don't want to make uh, enemies to my our neighbors to the south. But um, people who go to a place expecting it to be like home, like who are ignorant to different cultures and different ethnicities. Tell us your best travel hack. Rolling my clothes. You can get so much more in a small, small backpack. Yeah, it's probably lame. You guys have probably heard that a hundred times, but... I don't think we've had that no answer yet. No one said it yet, so you can have it. Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah, no, roll your clothes. You can, like, my husband and I usually travel on one backpack for multiple weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, appreciate, I, I appreciate any hacks that were around before 2010. <laughs> <laughs> that one dates back to when I first went on my first backpacking trip in uh, 2002, Sid. So I feel oh, like a pioneer yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Phil, I love how you make me feel so young. <laughs> I was 12. Yes, so I know. I you, don't need to, that's, you don't need to go any further. It's all good. <laughs> What's something you never travel without? Cash. Cash is king, especially when you're in a country where there's no banks. <laughs> well, there's banks, but that are unreliable. American cash, yeah. What's the most underrated country? I, would, I guess I would have to say Bolivia. That's fair. Most people don't even know where it is. No, it's true. <laughs> where is somewhere you wouldn't go back? Well, I guess I would say New Zealand. Um, just because it was, people were lovely. We did some really cool things, but it just felt like um, we were still in our backyard. Where in the world did you experience the least friendly locals? Sid, I'm going to have to give this one to you. Probably uh, Paris. But I, I don't know. I, I didn't like... Yeah. <laughs> Put it I on the school say board. England. I, <laughs> I thought she was going to say Ireland. <laughs> 
I've never been to Ireland. <laughs> but I'm gonna get I'm gonna take you up on that someday, Sid. I'll come visit you. Top five. Number five. So Lake Titicaca and Copacabana. That was I kind of lumped that into one. I'd love to go back there someday. It was beautiful. Uh, Copacabana was really really cool. This lovely little bohemian town right on the lake. It was it was quite spectacular. Number four, um, Valle de Rochas. That we did that when we did a, a. Is that how you say it? Valle de Rochas. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that no matter how you say it. It's a valley of rocks. Oh, those, those Spanish nightclubs. Really <laughs> um, it was kind of like the Grand Canyon in Bolivia. Like, it, And the best part was, again, we were the only people there. Like the only people. The sun was setting behind us. We saw the whole canyon and just our, the four of us, there were four of us on this little tour. Um, and our shadows like filled the canyon. It was it was spectacular. So people that want to go and get a discount Grand Canyon go to Bolivia. Yeah, it's not as big, not as wide, not as deep, but it's all by yourselves. You got it. There's it's spectacular, and it's at incredibly high altitude. So the the views are spectacular um, at night. The stars unparalleled. Like they're just it's out of this world. It's pro- it's it's probably even if you live in America, it's probably cheaper to visit. This bootleg Grand Canyon, anyway, isn't it? Cash in your air miles, <laughs> get a bunch of pints for a fiver, and fly home, and it's probably cheaper than a day trip to the Grand Canyon. That's right. Although it's like an eight-hour bus train ride from La Paz, and then it's another like six-hour drive from Uni. But that's uh, where you buy the beers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's that's, wow, that's those are long. There's that, I think that's what South America is really like, just long travel distances, because there's not really established like trains or comfortable buses i guess that, that i experienced anyway yeah it was it was a, a trek but you know what on the train we took a train so we took a bus from la paz to this little town i can't even remember what it was called we got off had supper there and we took an overnight train to uni and um in the middle of the night they woke us up and they gave us hot tea and a hamburger <laughs> like and i think it was actually beef like which we had not had on our entire trip I don't think it was a Yama burger. It was very random. And that was our train <laughs> ride. And we arrived at the train station at like uh, two or three in the morning. And Where, where, where did you catch the train to? Uh, so we started in La Paz and this was going to the Salt Flats. So this was going to Uni. Our final destination was uh, in Uni in the Salt Flats. So we took... Phil, Phil took me to Uni once. I got kicked out because I kept asking what was on the midterm. <laughs> <laughs> he, came, he came to one of my classes and at the no. <laughs> That's awesome. Number three would be probably Inca Huasi, which was like, um, it was again on the salt flats, but it was like this island. So if you picture a desert, but it's all white. So the salt flats were just like, it was like blinding how white everything was. But in the middle of it was an island of cacti. And uh, we went there and had llama for lunch. Yama. Um, but it was like the cacti were stories, multiple stories high and it's so is, old. And is, cact- is cacti Spanish as well? I always thought they were cactuses. Cactuses. <laughs> cactuses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. It was, it was really cool. Like you're driving, driving, driving through this, you know, just white. And then all of a sudden in the horizon is this like 
island full of cacti. This is the place where you see all of like the, the white bit, not the cactus bit. Is the where you see everybody taking the pictures and you can see like the reflection of the sky and mm-hmm. it's the bit that everybody talks yeah. about, isn't it? I think. So yeah, like it's the Salar de Uni. I don't. I'm I'm butchering the the pronunciation. I know I am, but the Salar de Uni is like this. Bolivians are just pounding <laughs> their computer. <laughs> the one that, it's, the uh, one that they it's, all share. <laughs> <laughs> from space and all I do remember um, is that it's got one of the highest rate or the highest concentrations of the world's lithium and there was uh, some concern that there would be mining done and the salt flats would be disturbed or ruined or whatever by um, some you know potentially greedy foreign company who wanted to mine this lithium uh, for all the batteries that we're we're using so Uh, for everything I mean cars everything so it's um, I know that that was one of the big concerns by local Bolivians was what was going to be done with this and I know that politicians are I think they're still still talking about what they're going to do but from what I understand that's that's where all the lithium is Elon Musk will get his hands on it eventually I'm sure he probably owns it already we just don't know it (laughs) he's going to be launching rockets from there because you know they filmed Star Wars and stuff there so this is probably where his next base is going to be (laughs) but no talking about this bit of the of the uni salt flats you know I I used to have the I don't know where it is now I used to have this book 101 places to get fucked up in before you die Fantastic book, very educational. (laughs) Until I lost the book, I was making a really good run at it. I was on to about 30-odd, which is not bad when you think a lot of them were events and stuff. But one of the top ones to do was to go up to the Uni Salt Flats with a bottle of tequila, scoop out a hole in the ground, and then pour the bottle in and start drinking from the ground because you get the salt and the tequila in the same (laughs) movement. Ah. (laughs) That'd be perfect. And, you know, one of the best pizzas I actually had was in Uni. Really? The little town. As a, uh, a guy from Boston, he, like, I, I don't even know where he got the basil, but I had the, a really fabulous margarita thin crust pizza there. Like, yeah, after days and days of eating yama and uh, quinoa, it was like, oh, pizza? Are you serious? Like, this is amazing. So it was, um, it probably actually wasn't even that good. It probably just tasted so good after eating the same thing for four days. Fact. I was going to say, as I was hearing it, that sounds like one of those anecdotes you'll never be able to back up and nobody will ever find the same thing. But in your head, that rings true. Yeah, it was open at like, I don't know what time we were done, but it was, we were late. It was late. We were starving. We were waiting for our bus to get back to La Paz and um, we needed some food and it was hot and ready to go. So, but I mean, this is a town of, I don't even know what the population is, but it's like a, it's pretty tiny. It's a one street town. So number two. La Paz. <laughs> um, it was it was a pretty cool spot. It's it's um, incredibly high altitude. I think it's thirty five hundred meters above sea level. Um, it's the highest altitude administrative capital in the world. Uh, did I land that one, did Phil? <laughs> and um, it was it was really uh, it was really cool. Like it was unlike any place I've ever been. I don't even know how to describe it. Like you would. You would see a, a commercial-looking bank, and then you would see a woman in a bowler hat wearing very traditional dress, like carrying a baby on her back. Like it was, you went from like a hundred years ago to today in two steps. Mm. It was, um, 
It was a really cool spot. I mean, there was a witch's market that we went to where you can buy medicines and there were a lot of like llama fetuses, um, which apparently are good for fertility and things like that. You could buy amazing alpaca stuff for dirt, dirt cheap. Some cool things to see, really interesting people. And yeah, like I said, it was, it was really unique. That sounds, that sounds fascinating with the, with the fetuses and stuff. But do you, reckon, do you reckon all the guys from Sukri get pissed off that nobody talks about their capital? Everybody's speaking about La Paz. <laughs> no to be to honest, had we had, more, had we had more time, I would have gone to Sucre because I heard really, really great things about it. I've heard it's beautiful, um, but we just didn't have the time. And like we were talking about earlier, to get anywhere, you know, you can't just rent a car and drive in a few hours. Like it was a very onerous task to get around. So unfortunately, it wasn't wasn't on our list so just on the subject of La Paz like you guys would have landed in La Paz yes how how does it how does altitude sickness feel like do you land immediately and you're like oh my god I feel sick or how, how, does, no. it, how does it work well it hits everyone differently and um like I'm I'm not a big person like I'm a pretty petite frame so I thought I you know I'm not carrying a lot of extra weight I'm in decent shape I, I this should be fine um, it, I was sick a lot. So I did take altitude sickness pills, um, which makes, which made for me, my fingers and toes go kind of pins and needly. So I, I took altitude sickness pills for like four or five days. And then I thought I got cocky and, um, I stopped taking them and we overexerted ourselves and I spent the next morning vomiting all morning. Um, but it all depends. It depends on everybody's different. Um, but it's exhausting. Like everything is exhausting. Walking up a flight of stairs at a really high altitude, like you're out of breath, just carrying a backpack was exhausting. Like it was, um, and I never, even after a couple weeks, I didn't fully acclimatize. Hmm. So yeah, but it's, but like I said, it's everyone's different. Like my husband, it barely phased him. Like he just felt a little winded. He was running marathons at the time. So I thought he would have fared a bit better than me, but he didn't. We were both looked like total pussies like trying to after every flight of stairs we're like heaving and like hands on our knees and <laughs> yeah totally and so number one again I learned about Bolivia through one of my former classmates she did this tour with her now husband when my husband heard about it he was definitely signed up for it it was to bike down the world's most dangerous road and really? um to bike to bike I'm still, down I, to bike, to bike down it. And then, oh, this is the best part. The more terrifying part, to be honest, is driving back up it. To me, that was far more terrifying because the car or the van that we were in was considerably wider than the bike that I was on. So there were periods of time where I was like, we're not going to make it. Those crosses are there for a reason because the other people died here. So we're going to go down too. This is happening right now. So yeah, it was... Uh, Terrifying. First of all, why would you want to do this? <laughs> you can talk to Ryan Reynolds about this one. <laughs> oh, such a um, so my my girlfriend who did this assured me that like she had gone with this company. It was a New Zealand company. Again, I love mm. Kiwis. They kept me alive. Um, so they were dangerous territory. Very reputable. Um, and and in this case, a hundred percent, you get what you pay for. And I would never, I would, I would ask to pay more if someone, <laughs> in this case, um, we went on like top notch, really expensive bikes. We had professional guides. We had, uh, one of our guides was an American who was on the, some type of mountain biking circuit for years. He was really experienced. 
every, I don't know how many kilometers they stopped and checked our brakes. It was like safety was the top concern, but there were some tour groups that were like literally bombing down this road. And it was like, they were like kamikaze pilots. I couldn't believe it. I was like, holy shit, like this, like, what the fuck are they thinking? It was, um, it four, was- four, four of them on one bike, no brakes, <laughs> not a helmet like, Not <laughs> well, honestly, to, to be fair, no helmet would save you from anything that you would have experienced had you gone off this road. Um, so helmet or no helmet, no big deal, but brakes are essential for sure. So what um, makes it so deadly? Is it that it's a cliff? It's on a cliff? It's a cliff. It's, it's on a cliff. Not all yeah, of it. A part of it. The first part is now paved. Uh, it's like a paved roadway, but that's only for, I don't know, like... 10 kilometers maybe it's about 60 70 kilometers in total but the craziest thing for me was the altitude change so we started at like three three thousand five hundred meters above sea level and we ended up at sea level in the amazon and oh it was so to go from that out we were above the clouds to sea level in five hours and like i said we had already been um at high altitude for about two weeks at this point so i was super cocky i was like yeah we'll be fine uh, I was not fine. I was never, I was, I thought like I had dengue fever or something. I was like dying that night because we had gone down, like I said, to the Amazon and there was this, um, animal sanctuary that we st stopped at and they had all these monkeys and there were tons of mosquitoes and I was like just eaten alive. Sweet Canadian blood, I guess. And maple syrup. <laughs> That's right. That night I was so sick and so nauseous and I was like, oh my God, I got dengue fever in Bolivia. Like this is it, it's over for me. Um, but I'm quite certain it was the altitude. Like just the, cause we start at 3,500, go to sea level and then you drive back up. And so just the up and down, I think that day just about killed me. And like, this is on top of the fear factor of like, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die straight for five hours. It was, um, and my, my forearms, because I, like, I'm, I'm such a wuss, but I was, like, breaking the whole time. And we were some, some younger guys who were a lot more experienced mountain bikers than I was. And I'm just, like, put it in the lowest gear. Are you sure my brakes are okay? Like, please, God. And then you go, like, literally, there are crosses all along this road for all these people. And there was someone who had died earlier, just a few months prior to us, because her brakes failed and she went right off the, right off the side, like, just kept on... Like, and you can't, you can't bail because the road is only about the width of a car. So it's not like you could bail and slide for a while. It's like, you're gone. That's mad. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, uh, an experience that I'll never forget. And one that I don't need to repeat either. So it was, uh, it was interesting. Check and done. Got the t-shirt literally. And we're done. We're done here. <laughs> So yeah, no, it was cool. I if you're in the mood for some um, high adrenaline and you have a good life insurance policy, then I would highly recommend it. Go for it. <laughs> and if you don't, it doesn't matter because you'll die anyway. Exactly, it's all good. No, I, but I definitely, if you go, seek out a very expensive tour guide because, <laughs> like I said, there were some some pretty uh, terrifying groups there with us. So they were zooming by us and left us in their dust. So I live to tell the tale. Story time. We started our journey in Peru. We were in Machu Picchu, like literally in Machu Picchu. And we were talking to a couple that we ran into 
from France and our plan the next day was to go down to Puno which is still in Peru but it's on the border of Lake Titicaca we're planning to spend a few days in that region go to the Reed Islands which are which are pretty touristy but I still wanted to see them it's like a colony of people who live on Lake Titicaca and, and houses built out of reeds Anyway, so that was the plan. So we were telling them about that and they said, oh, well, have you heard about the unrest? And, and we're like, no, what's going on? Ooh, that's not good. Yeah. And so they, they said, well, the border is closed. Um, there's a, a miners' strike and Puno is the closest town to the border between Peru and Bolivia. And um, they said there's, you know, it's not really safe right now. So you might just like you may not even be able to get across. And we had already paid for a tour, a four-day salt flat tour in Bolivia. We had wire transferred $1,000 to this company. Um, and there was like, we had to get to La Paz by this day. And so we couldn't afford any, you know, delays or anything. So after we did our thing at Machu Picchu, when we got back to Aguas Calientes, which is the little base town, we called our hotel in Puno and said like, look, I don't think we're coming. We heard about what's going on. We're just going to fly to La Paz. Like we can't risk it. Um, and they're like, no, 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 we can get you across. We will get you to Bolivia. Just, you just bring some cash, American cash and make sure you have your passports and we will get you there. And so we were, we were on the fence, but the best stories that we've ever had traveling is when we rolled the dice and just kind of, we're like, let's see what happens. So that's what we did. We just looked at, literally, we looked at each other and said, let's roll the dice on this one. So that's that's the, that's the that's the equation for a good time though, isn't it? Roll it, the dice, crack open a beer. See what happens, right? Like what can go wrong, right? You don't make it on a travel podcast if you keep it safe. If you don't roll the dice. If you keep those dice in your pocket, you don't come on the show. Those are the rules. Exactly. You got to be a gambler. So um, the next day, it was like this bus tour. It wasn't really much of a tour. It was just this bus that we had taken from. Um, Cusco to Puno and there were a few stops along the way and we had alpaca and a few other things to eat and saw some ruins and it was all good but we could tell like as we approached Puno that things were not okay like you could just tell by the traffic and just the atmosphere I don't know how to describe it like there were you just people on the streets people were out and about but not in a happy way like there were protesters there were people yelling and things like that so as we're pulling into the town like my husband and I looked at each other and we're like shit like what have we done? Like maybe this wasn't a good idea. So yes. we, we pull up to the bus station, which is at the port as well. And it was pretty gritty. Like it's, yeah, I'm glad I had a six foot two guy with me. Um, and so we, we get there and we're like, okay, we knew our hotel. They had assured us if we had, you know, some cash and our passports, they would take care of this for us. So we found a cab, got to our hotel, told the lady, she knew, she knew us. She was expecting us. She said, we need 400 us and your passports and you will get them back tomorrow. You need to be down here ready to go at 6.15 tomorrow morning. She said, I, I wouldn't recommend leaving the hotel unless you have to. And um, so we did, because <laughs> we were stupid. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, woman's like, the woman's like on a military regime, but oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm dodging some tanks. <laughs> Sorry, what, what, what is Puno like? Like, does it look like a, a reasonably nice town or is it like one of these... Super lively. You know, do, yeah, one, <laughs> no, one of these dust, dusty looking border towns. No, it was, it, it did, it was more lively than um, some of the smaller towns we had been to. It was more industrial um, because they had the port, they had a uh, bus station. It was more commercial, I guess I should say. Um, but to be fair, I, I certainly don't think we saw it in the best light. 
because of what was going on. So, um, so yeah, so like, I'll never forget the look on her face. Like I said, Bolivia and Peru are, are quite, well, Peru is a lot richer than Bolivia, but still the people are not making a ton of money. And my husband whips out $400 cash and just starts counting it to her. And she's just like, she's expecting it, but this look of like, holy shit, this is my salary in a month kind of thing. And this guy's just like handing it over. And- Holy shit, Ryan Reynolds is here by <laughs> Do you want a bottle of avi avi aviation gin? <laughs> aviation gin, exactly. Um, what was the $400 for? We didn't ask any questions, um, but from what I understand, it was to garner safe passage to the other side of the country, um, to the other country, I should say, to Bolivia. Um, I know that there are certain stamps that are required by certain judges and certain passport officials or border officials. How those were acquired, I have no idea. I don't know who got what. I just know that there was a transaction that took place and they took our passports. That was the most precarious part of the whole thing because I, I love that this was all no questions asked though with the four hundred dollars because like we've had we've had we, we've had and we'll have people on this show that would have questioned forty cents. <laughs> yeah, no. It was, it was literally, it was like, it, she, we knew this going into it. Like we knew she told us that was what, we, and we had it because we learned that you, if you're going to travel in countries where you may be off the beaten path, you've got to take some cash with you. You don't rely on going to an ATM. So, um, we were well prepared. Um, but yeah, we were willing at that point, we wanted to get to the salt flats. We had heard some amazing things. We had seen some amazing things by what was going on outside. This was our best bet. Like this is, this was our only bet literally um the borders were closed we could have apparently physically walked across the border it would have taken us multiple hours and we <laughs> may have been killed but um <laughs> so this is it this is you know you can't ask questions when you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place so we paid her the money gave her our um, passports and she assured us like look your driver will be here at 6 15 tomorrow morning do not be late breakfast we'll have breakfast for you at six o'clock Anyway, so that was all arranged. So we were starving though, because we had spent the whole day on a bus. So we were like, we gotta, we've just gotta go eat somewhere. So darkness was falling. Again, you know where this is going. Like it's not, it's never a happy ending. It was, luckily we both got out unscathed, but we were going to this local little grocery store and we were just about to walk in, like literally. And then the owner comes and pulls the cage down. And I was like, oh shit, this isn't good. And I look to my right and there's this angry mob of miners. So what the unrest was, there was a Canadian, I'm not gonna, <laughs> not gonna sugarcoat this, a gold mine uh, outside of Lake Titicaca. And the locals apparently were concerned that this mine was polluting the lake and ruining the local ecological system. So the miners were uh, protesting and some of the locals were protesting. And this was their way of garnering attention is by shutting down the border. Did, did, so, did, sorry, this skipped my attention earlier. When you said miners strike, I thought you meant like youngsters, like people under 18. <laughs> but you mean like no. people that dig in their ground. Like who was in charge of Bolivia at this point? Was it Margaret Thatcher? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the president's name at the time. I still don't know the president of Bolivia's name. But um, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, these were legit like in the ground miners. You could tell by... The color of their skin, like they're it, they're small, rugged men um, without teeth, and they're coming towards us up the street, <laughs> and they had these I don't even know how to like makeshift weapons of some kind attached to rocks, like rocks attached. To, I don't know. They were swinging things around. I don't know what they were. 
But uh, I was pretty sure I was going to defecate in my pants because I was like, oh crap, like, but you're kind of stuck, right? Like I, I was planning on going to this grocery, but they knew what was going on. They pulled down their, their so gates. And they I'm pulled like, it oh, down God. while you were inside so, so to protect you? No, no, no. I was no, about was to walk outside. in. Oh. Well, I was outside. They pulled it down because they saw what was happening. They saw what was coming and they didn't want to get looted or robbed or whatever. So they didn't give a shit. Like, they're just protecting their store. I understand. But it was just this sinking feeling. Again, and then this one miner came up and started yelling at me and stuff. And my husband was like about six or seven feet away. I think he was trying to still get in the store. <laughs> and he saw what was happening. And luckily he was like double the size of all of these men. I'm surprised the shopkeeper didn't ask you two to be security. Like, oh, I'll give you a couple of dollars <laughs> on the front of the shop for you. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> we could have been, honestly. So I literally like, I was paralyzed with fear. I didn't know what to do. This man is yelling at me and like, there was this angry mob of people. And so my husband just kind of grabbed me and pulled me out of the way and yelled at this guy. I don't even know what he yelled, but he sweared a bit. And then they, they looked at him and they're like, okay, let, let's just keep going. So they just, it was a protest. Like they were legally, I guess, legitimately protesting, but they were very, very angry and they were gonna, I don't know, take out their anger on somebody or something. So that'll set the tone of the feeling and the sentiment. And there were protests that were planned for the following days that we didn't know about, that we learned about later. So we go home, we're a bit rattled. And we're like, oh fuck, we gotta get out of here. Like, okay, we're gonna, we're not gonna be late. We're gonna get up at like the crack of dawn. We went downstairs, we ate our breakfast, and the guy showed up at like two minutes after six. He, we were told like he'll be here at 6.15. He was there at like 6.02, and we, we literally like grabbed our bags. He goes, okay, we, you, you gotta hurry, you gotta hurry. And he just started throwing our stuff in his broken English like into his little van. And we went to one other place and picked up like six other people at this hotel. And we're all like, what the fuck is going on? Like we were all swapping stories and stuff. You guys must have looked like an NBA team on tour as well compared to the locals. <laughs> had arrived I don't know anyway so we we got to the port and again like this guy this driver was really like really really concerned and we weren't as concerned but the more concerned he got and he was local the more concerned we were like okay shit like let's just get going he was throwing our stuff on the boat this little like hydrofoil boat which is like a speedboat with a roof on it and so we get on he shows us our passports he had a stack of our passports he said, you will get these when you get to Bolivia. And so we gave them to our captain. I don't even know if you can call him that. Like it's a driver of a boat. And we, we bombed it across Lake Titicaca and didn't look back. And we learned a few days later that five people were killed that day, including two police officers or two wow. military people. And so it was just, yeah, it was just, it so. was just you guys and this, and this dodgy looking boat driver with a stack of passports. Well, us and the other tourists. Yeah, that's I mean, um, so There were a couple the, from, the, yeah, the, that was the, it. The NBA team and the boat driver and the passports, and that was it. That, and you just fucking that went is for correct. it across the lake. So we went for it. And Lions. when we were there, when we got to Bolivia, when we got to Bolivia, we were met by someone in a uniform. I don't know what he was or but he stamped things, gave us our passports, and we left. And that was, and like, I literally wanted to kiss the ground when we got to Bolivia because I was like, okay, we, we made it. Like, I feel good. And um, oh so then we, we stayed for in Copacabana for two days and it was great. And then it wasn't until we got to La Paz and talked to some other people in our hotel that we learned about what was going God, on. In, God, in God bless North. South America, no, because that guy's probably made enough to buy a mansion and retire. <laughs> And you guys made it into Bolivia. <laughs> 
I don't know. I think there were a lot of transactions along the way. Well, they probably um, all got maxims and retired by the sounds of it. They got better than the <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that's the other thing. Like, it's such a contrast. Uh, we live such a privileged life, like, the whole time I'm there. To be able to fork over $400 and not bat an eye, and, to, and then you look at the quality of life that these miners, for instance, are living, it's um and that's why i travel again it's very humbling like i I, that's why i like those experiences because you really do appreciate what you have but you also gain an appreciation of other people's perspectives and that's you can't gain that anywhere else other than so what what are you saying you don't you don't see a lot of bolivians sneaking across lakes in new brunswick (laughs) i'm afraid not We would welcome them, though. We love immigrants here in New Brunswick. I certainly will say that. But uh, it's it's definitely a different different way of life, different quality of life for sure. Yeah, your story was extremely like I knew the story, and that's why I asked you to come on the podcast. But I remember you telling me the story, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is crazy!" Like <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was dynamite. Oh, that's good to know. That's what happens when you roll the dice, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but what? What is crazy to me is that you probably on whatever day of the week that you went back to work, you just went back to work and you're just like, holy fuck, like, I, I just escaped like civil unrest. And But to be honest, to be honest, I think I was more terrified. There were a couple times, there were other times I think I was more afraid than then. Um, like going down, biking down the world's most dangerous road, I think there were certainly more terror. It was more prolonged terror. And when we were in the salt flats, so we were in like a giant Land Rover, but you're in a Land Rover for three days and there are no gas stations anywhere. There is nothing. Like what is in your vehicle is to do you for those three days. And so you carry all your gasoline on top of your Land Rover and your driver will drive fuel up periodically. But we like, and there's no roads either. So you're in the desert. So it's desert. Middle of the nowhere. It's middle of nowhere. He has one satellite phone and that's it. On our final day, we came across a Land Rover that had overturned. Because if you don't have an experienced driver driving on sand, driving on sand is not like driving on anything we've ever driven on um, or driving on asphalt or anything like that. And so if you don't have an experienced driver, your vehicle can flip, particularly if it's top heavy. And so we came across a Land Rover, like literally a crash site that had happened a few days earlier. And there was stuff strewn everywhere. There were bloody garments, like everything. I don't know if people survived this crash. Yeah, it was literally, and you're in the middle of nowhere. Like, I don't even know how to describe it to you. And we came across a Land Rover that had overturned. And here we are carrying all of our gasoline and one satellite phone and no one else knows where we are in the world except for us. And this could happen. So your your fate is kind of in the hands of your driver too. Wow. <laughs> so that was actually scarier to me to see that come across that crash site than it was to cross the border. That's wild. So yes, when I did go back to work to my little desk job in my little cubicle in safe little Ottawa, Ontario, my colleagues saw me after this two and a half week stint and they were like, how was your vacation? <laughs> we went to a resort, like, it was great. It was, <laughs> it's like, it was an adventure. I don't know if I would call it a vacation. It was an adventure. And that's one thing I learned. Like we tried to do in a North American itinerary in a South American country. Like we had stuff planned every day. We had travel plans lined up. We had everything. And it, you know, you just can't do that. You can't do that. So, but that's what happens when you get three weeks of vacation. You got to account for a few missed days or missed bus or whatever totally totally so 
anyway, um, but it was, it was one of the most uh, memorable experiences I've ever had. So I would highly recommend it. Well, so, well, yeah. well, thank you so much for sharing your story and coming on. We really appreciated you coming on. It was nail biting. I, 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 I saw myself like, like, oh my God, like it was such a stressful story <laughs> because like, I can't even imagine what it was like. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It was, it, like, when, when, it's when, been a slice. When things are open back up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over to Bolivia and go across the lake and I'll be thinking, ah, oh, fuck, you know, this is where Lindsay was sneaking across, probably ducking <laughs> away. Lindsay and Ryan. People were getting killed <laughs> in the background. Miners killing people in the background. <laughs> Board is shut. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. The Two Beers Still Takeoff podcast is performed and edited by Phil and Big Sid. Do you want to see the footage we can't post on Instagram and the stories we can't tell on our podcast? Then if so, please check out our Patreon page. Follow us on our Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook accounts at Two Beers Till Takeoff. All links in the episode notes. All music heard on this podcast is provided by Rocker. You can find more of his work on his Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube account. Again, links in the episode note. A big thank you goes out to Viking Leo K for his voiceover work. I love you.